welcome to React Native Radio, episode 106. Today on our panel, we have Peter Pykarczyk. Hello, everybody. I'm your host, Nader Dabit. And also kind of on our panel, uh, Mike Grabowski, who joins us quite a bit. Um, he hasn't been around for the last few months, maybe, but um, I don't know whether to introduce him as a panelist or a guest because he has a lot of experience around the topic we're going to be talking about. So I guess we can actually kind of introduce him as a guest. Mike Grabowski from Callstack. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and another uh, today as a today as a panelist, I guess. <laughs> okay, panelist, cool. <laughs> and then today our special guest is Jared Forsyth. Uh, so, Jared, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Um, I know about you. I've never met you in person, so this is actually really cool. But I've been following you on Twitter for the longest. But for people that are listening that kind of don't know who you are, do you want to give us a quick introduction to kind of like who you are, uh, what you do? Then we'll talk about a little bit of uh, the topic for today, which is reason, and we'll go into that. Okay. So I'm a mobile developer at Khan Academy, uh, which is a uh, ed tech nonprofit. And I've been doing JavaScript for a long time, um, spoken at React conferences and, and various things like that, and been doing a lot of React. And at Khan Academy, we use React Native in our iOS and Android apps. And then recently, I've, I've been getting really involved in the Reason Project, contributing to Core a little bit, working on DevTools a lot, uh, that kind of thing. So can you talk about Reason as far as like a, a completely beginner's introduction or like an elevator pitch? Like we're going to be talking a lot of in-depth things about Reason. We might even get into some like advanced things. But like for people that are listening that um, haven't used Reason, can you kind of give a quick elevator pitch of why someone would be interested and kind of learning this with all the things that we have that we're already learning. Sure. Um, so a lot of people come to Reason from JavaScript because they want um, they want more maintainable code and they want better guarantees about not having bugs in production. Um, and a, a lot of people in the JavaScript community are already familiar with Elm. Um, which is a, a functional compiled JavaScript language that's been around for a little bit longer. Um, and Reason has, has very similar goals, where, um, but you're, you're writing a syntax that looks actually a lot like JavaScript in many ways, but then there's a cloud that does a lot of type checking to catch bugs that you write. Um, and then it also has a, a really powerful type system for describing types. Um, so that you can kind of, um, and I, I find that really helpful to architect my application around the the types that I'm going to use, and it just it helps things be better organized. So basically, if if you, um, especially if you've used Swift and liked it, or you've used um, Rust or Java or you know a, any of these languages that have uh, a solid type system, and you're in JavaScript, and you're like, ah, I wish I had a type system that had my back. Where in, instead of where JavaScript just kind of stabs you in the back regularly. So it can switch to, say, TypeScript or Flow, and that gives you a little bit more safety, a little bit more ease of refactoring. But may, maybe you've, you've used Flow for a while or TypeScript for a while, and it's still, it doesn't quite cut it. It's, it's adding a layer on top of JavaScript, but it doesn't really, um, I don't know, it, it still inherits too much of JavaScript's flaws. Um, 
And so you might want to make the leap to a language that was built from the ground up with um, you know, type safety and, and refactorability and maintainability from the ground up. Hey, Jared. So for a lot of the people that I've talked to about Reason, um, the type system is the most exciting, but also one of the scariest parts. Right. Um, and whether we like to uh, believe this or not, sometimes in the JavaScript realm, types are an afterthought. You know, right. sort of like how we write tests sometimes, right? Like uh, we write them just because it's like, oh, we, gotta, we just got to check it off and check off our OCD, right? Like, oh, we're going to, now that we wrote the code, we're going to write some types to go with the code. Yeah. Uh, but reason forces you to think about those types up front. Is there any sort of like path to success we can take to think about typing in like an easier or, or more natural way, like right from the beginning? Yeah. So one of, one of the things that I really appreciate about Reason that, um, for example, isn't there in, in Java or Swift or one of these more uh, mainstream languages is um, nearly all of the types can be inferred by the compiler. Um, so when I'm, when I'm writing Reason code, I, um, I generally don't annotate my functions. I don't say, okay, this is the types of all these arguments. I just use the arguments and the compiler can tell oh, because you used it in this way, you want it to be this type. And then it'll make sure that you don't switch your expectations. Like, oh, I, here I'm using it as a string, here I'm using it as an and, that kind of thing. Um, so I think that can really help with the on-ramp of like, I don't, I don't have to necessarily mess with um, writing types and all these things off the bat because um, the compiler can just understand what's going on. Um, but then th there is still the compiler won't let you play fast and loose with types, right? So in in JavaScript, often it's um, you know you're you're building every function and you're adding attributes to an object or whatever, um, and that's that's not legal because it it doesn't have a, a solid type. So I've I've kind of lost track of your question, but maybe that helped. Absolutely, it does make sense uh, and it does help. I think so. Just to, under, just to sort of reiterate, just to make sure that I understand, uh, you don't have to go off and like understand the type system like right away to be productive in reason, right? Like uh, types can be inferred by the compiler, uh, which makes uh, the code that you're writing in reason very, obviously not the same, but familiar to what you may be used to in a JavaScript setting. Does That's that right. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, it's likely that when you start out with reason, there will be a couple of compiler errors like, oh, you know, the, you're not using this type right or this has the wrong type. Um, but but you don't have to start out thinking, OK, what is the type of this function going to be? I have to write it out, figure that all out. Awesome. Um, and just to keep going on this whole types thing. Uh, when I was first writing Reason after, you know, like writing JavaScript for all these years, what threw me off, I think, was not so much the syntax, but the OCaml ecosystem as a whole, right? Like things like type T or like A apostrophe 
you know, like function B apostrophe, right? Like, uh, yeah, think, and I wasn't really sure if, you know, type T is like, is T a special thing, right? Like is A or B a special thing, right? Those variables. Um, is there, is there any material out there that kind of helps explain, you know, uh, those like variables or, uh, like types, you know, like is, is there anything that people could look into to make like learning how to read types easier? Um, that's a great question. And I can't think of anything off the bat that does that. that that'd be a great idea for, for a blog post or an, an entry in the, in the reason documentation. One, one thing that is definitely difficult if you're diving into the OCaml ecosystem is the, the OCaml folks and very much the Haskell folks um, inherit a lot from mathematics and kind of the, the academic mathematic world. And one of the one of the worst habits that they have, where it just seems like if if you read through some OCaml code, so often there's like you know two dozen variable names that are all just a single letter, like C and A and BT and whatever. Like, and that is just that that makes things hard. I I, I subscribe to um, you know the Swift Coco school of uh, variable naming, where if if the variable is a sentence, that's fine, right? It makes it a lot more readable. Um, and yeah, you have to type it out, but that's what autocomplete is for. Um, so so some of the things that you'll see when you're diving into the OCaml world is like, uh, this is this code is hard to read because they didn't they didn't type out any words. Um, but then there's also some patterns, like you mentioned. Um, where if there is, say there's an array module, and at the top there's type T, that's, that's a convention for saying this is the type that is the main type of this module, right? This is the array type, and I don't want to be typing array.array, so I'll be typing array.t all over the place. Um, I, don't, I don't know of any primer that, that introduces those patterns. That would be really good to have. I have one more question, but I know uh, I've been sort of hogging this. Mike Natter, uh, feel free. Otherwise, I'll uh, I'll ask my last one. I can quickly uh, relate to uh, to what Jared uh, said uh, as a response to your question about materials. So when I started working with Reason, uh, obviously the best resource for me was Reason Town Podcast. So a, a little bit of cross promo, uh, but essentially, like I've been recommending that podcast to everyone, uh, especially the, the 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 episode on the interop uh, was like the one that opened my brain and finally let me understood all the constructs of buckle script. But uh, regarding the types, I was also quite confused a bit uh, at first what the uh, apostrophe a etc were meaning but then at the same time totally by accident i found myself reading haskell book uh, on getting started and they had a chapter on types and that's where they were describing all the um, type system as well as the math behind it and that's where the concept of variables came from and then i understood that it's just the the naming and that helped me you know understand the code much much better so 
probably reading the whole Haskell book is a bit of, a, of an overkill if you are not interested into learning it. But essentially, uh, I guess any resource on types and like types algebra would be probably a good resource to just get get a bit started. Yeah, you, you can kind of get down a rabbit hole there, especially, I mean, in, in the hardcore functional programming community, um, as soon as somebody says category theory, you want to like just take a step back because that is way, way too much theory that, that can really bog you down if you're just trying to write a function. Yeah. But so, at the same time, it makes you feel like a, like a, uh, yeah, I mean, at the same time, it just makes you feel like a, like doing some some piece of science, especially once you start understanding all the deep math concepts at your day job. It's a nice break from writing front end and you know uh, views, which is probably what most of us are doing on a regular basis, right? That's true. Once once you catch a glimpse of the you know mathematical universe, it can it can be pretty cool. Yeah. So like to move uh, like we're having like an academic conversation, but like to maybe move the conversation into the realm of like actual like developer efficiency and kind of like what are the different things that they can uh, benefit from from using Reason. So right now, if someone wanted to start building web and mobile applications, is Reason something that they can start using right now and start being pretty efficient with? I mean, is it is it there to the point where you can start shipping things, I guess is my question. And what can you ship? Right, yeah. Um, so the answer is definitely yes. Uh, there are a bunch of companies that are shipping Reason code in production. Um, and there, there's been a lot of effort put into making the um, the Reason React binding first class. Um, so there's if, if you're used to writing React or React Native, um, Reason should, should, shouldn't feel like too much of a jump. There's JSX, um, and there's, there's really nice interop for using JavaScript React components in Reason. And um, so, if, if you want to get started, you can you can totally start writing some components or some business logic in Reason, and it'll it'll interrupt with JavaScript pretty well. So the flow for someone someone building like a JavaScript or web application is React kind of like what they're going to be compiling to, or can they just write Reason and create just a com completely JavaScript application without using React? I guess kind of what I'm trying to understand. For people, and also get across for people like it's where does JavaScript and React end and Reason start, and where is the um, the connection between the two? Right. So if you're if you're writing Reason and targeting JavaScript, the the compiler that that you'll use is called BuckleScript, and the compiler is it produces. So you're you write Reason, you run the compiler, and in, right next to your um, you know mycomponent.re there's a mycomponent.js, and you can open it up and read it. And it's like, okay, now I see, yeah, this is where it defines the React component, or this is where it adds two numbers. This is where it calls math.random. Um, so basically, the, the mental model you can think of is for every reason file, you'll get a JavaScript file. Um, you can open up and poke around, and you can then require that from another, from another JavaScript file and use everything that was exported. So in that sense, it's almost like TypeScript, where you're writing TypeScript and then it compiles to JavaScript, and then um, okay, cool, interesting. Yeah, it's the same kind of workflow. So um, there's also this idea of of building native apps using Reason and and either using React Native as the target or actual native code as the target. What can you say uh, about like how that works and what's 
what's like going on in that space right now? Totally. Um, so definitely writing React Native apps in Reason is possible, and people are doing it. Um, and that's that's by far the smoother option um, because more the the majority of the Reason community at the moment is using React um, compiling to JavaScript. Um, there are some people exploring what what would it take to have a a good experience writing native compiled Reason. Um, so Reason is just a, a thin layer on top of OCaml. And one of the incredible benefits that we get from the OCaml community is a lot of cross compilers. Um, so there, there's a compiler to, to JavaScript that I've talked about, but then there's also compiling to native desktop on Mac, Windows, and Linux. Um, and then there are also compilers for Android and iOS. And if you're currently, if you want to do that, if you want to write, say, um, compiling to iOS, you're going to have to get into the C bindings. And, you know, how do, how do we bind reason to C and then C to Objective-C for, for the Cocoa stuff? And it's, it's totally doable. The technology's there, but there's going to be a lot of boilerplate. And so some people in the community are saying, what if we could, what, what would it look like to have a really smooth pipeline um, where all of the C and Cocoa stuff is, is out of the way? There's a library that takes care of that. And then you can just write almost like using JSX and, and React-style primitives to make an actually native compiled app. It, it's, it's pretty early days now, but it's, it's an exciting prospect. No, that sounds amazing, actually. Um, how far along, is that something that you think that's going to happen in the next few years? Because if so, that would just be amazing, actually. <laughs> I mean, I've heard uh, people talking about it, but I haven't really been keeping up with it. Yeah, I'd, actually, I'd be surprised if, um, if it wasn't ready to use in, in say, two or three years. Um, there, there's been a lot of work recently on getting kind of native compilation and cross-compilation stuff um, in a reasonable place. That was a big building block that, that needed to happen. Um, and then, of course, there's writing the bindings and, and maybe, maybe bridging to the native side of React Native or um, to, to a new um, bridge entirely. But, um, yeah, I, I think that's going to happen. Hey, Jared, can we take a step back and just ask uh, why Reason came about in the first place? What's it trying to solve? What are its use cases? And like, why should we even consider, you know, learning, you know, this type system and OCaml and stuff? Sure. So Reason is, is a project by Facebook, right? And there are a couple, of, a couple of factors that came together to produce Reason. One of the factors is that um, the flow type system, for example, is written in Reason and or in in OCaml, sorry, and they have compiled to their PHP compiler hack. I think is written in OCaml as well, and just a bunch of internal things. So they they have OCaml experience to start with, um, and then there's React, which um, Jordan Walk, who, who created React, um, he initially was prototyping it in standard ML, which is uh, a sibling language of OCaml. Um, so the, the paradigms and ideas from React fit very well with OCaml, with functional immutability, that kind of thing. Um, the final piece that brings Facebook's scale 
um, where they have like thousands of JavaScript developers that are all touching a single code base kind of thing. And um, there's just so, so many failure points when you have concurrent modification to a file um, where it's like, I made this change and I did all, you know, I ran the test suite or whatever um, and it all worked out. And then somebody else made a different change that touched the same things, but um, in a way that broke my change, but there's no way to know until everything is merged together and pushed to a staging server. And then, you know, everything's set back because you have to, you have to go back and figure out, okay, how did their change break my change? And there's a lot of, um, a lot of headache there. Um, whereas if you have a really solid type system, then um, it, it can catch those things earlier and more importantly, tell you exactly what it is that's broken. Um, so it, it's kind of a similar, um, a similar response as Flow is, where, where Flow is taking JavaScript and adding a couple of things on without changing the underlying runtime semantics. Um, Reason is saying, well, what if we what if we say JavaScript is just kind of fundamentally unsafe in a lot of ways? Let's let's move away from that more. So I mean, the, kind of the so kind of the the two big things that it gives you are one um, better maintainability. So um, refactors are much easier to do because you know for a fact that the compiler will tell you if you miss changing the type, you know, w- one of the function calls um, in- instead of having to do a find and replace and hope. I hope I found everything that was using this object in this way. Um, and and then the other thing is reliability of you know, having fewer runtime exceptions, um, more confidence that your code won't break and that other people changing this code won't break it in the future. It, it's all well and good if you're the only person touching this code, right? And you are a, a sole developer or whatever. But as soon as you have... Um, you know, five or ten people working on a single code base, just the possibility for errors and and weird things just goes up dramatically. Absolutely. That was a really good uh, breakdown. One thing that I sort of learned in my whole process of getting myself to a productive level of using reason is, is my experience with immutable JS. And if you haven't heard of immutable JS, uh, it's a JavaScript library also by Facebook that offers data structures that we don't have uh, in just plain old JavaScript, right? Like records and lists, uh, maps and sets. Those are now there. But um, anyway, uh, I think the hardest part for me was figuring out like when I should use a JavaScript object, when I should use a record, like when I should use a JavaScript Boolean, right? Uh, and so on and so forth. And one of the things that kind of helped me uh, get there is this library, right? Uh, And I guess the benefit that it brought was I didn't have to leave the JavaScript ecosystem, but I could still learn the the data structures and the patterns and like the functions and, uh, and then apply it to reason without having to learn like the type system and all the other OCaml stuff right off the bat, if that makes sense. Sure, yeah. Yeah, having having some background in using immutable data structures is super helpful. And Immutable.js will give that to you. Uh, so I just want to come back for a second to back to Reason React. Um, 
So we've been talking so far about benefits of Reason and uh, how we would sort of um, sell it to JS or TypeScript developers. Uh, but one thing that is really exciting for me is the, the Reason React, which is the, the bindings for, for React and Reason. And the fact that it's just not the bindings, it's actually um, a whole, like a, an independent framework on its own that has a slightly different design decisions than the React itself, like the state management is done in a slightly different way. Uh, so would you mind talking, telling us a bit more about Reason React and uh, and the differences from React or maybe benefits as compared to what we got used to from writing React in JavaScript? Sure. Yeah, so Reason React is, is very cool because like you say, it's not just a straight across binding. Um, it is um, more opinionated than that in that it, um, it really takes advantage of some of the constructs that you get in um, the OCaml runtime for free, like, like these immutable data structures and, and that kind of stuff. Um, and the kind of the, the really um, innovative thing that they did, you might say, is to bring, um, bring the Redux in where if you have a component that has state and you want it, um, you have a stateful component, you define you define actions and you define a reducer for how the how the state changes in response to those actions. So that was that was a thing where the maintainers of Reason React who work closely with the core React team were seeing, okay, here are what what are things that we could do, little things that we could bake into this um, framework that would make things that much easier. Just bake in the best practices from the broader React ecosystem so that it's um, that much more uh, standardized when you're writing components. Yeah, I have to say that I really love it. Like, uh, I, I was really surprised how easy it was for me to get started. And honestly, after doing React, uh, after not doing React for a month when I came back uh, and I opened up um, Twitter just to see what the st what state management library should I use. I was a bit scared because I, I, I sort of forgot this is actually a problem given that it's it's solved um, in Reason. But uh, what you said about the design process and thinking what we can do better is actually what makes me really excited about bindings and the interop between Reason and JavaScript. I feel like the the process when we are about to write bindings is special because it gives us uh, uh, an ability to step back and think of like the way we designed the JS library in first place and what we can do better, which, for example, in my opinion, TypeScript uh, types cannot do. And uh, I'm really excited for uh, for React Native in Reason as well, for that same reason. And uh, I know maintainers of BS React Native were already going that direction, which is changing the API slightly here and there just to make it more uh, pleasant to use, more reasonable, let's say. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm generally excited about that route and sort of looking forward to see where we get there. Yeah. So I'm kind of curious, and this might have a little bit to do with the Reason React, the conversation, um, because literally I've, I've used Reason maybe a couple of times when I was learning it. It was really interesting, actually. But like the question that um, I had, and I still kind of have, and maybe other people might have, is like when you're working with um, browser APIs, for example, uh, like it, we're used to being able to have things like I don't know, set timeout or maybe fetch or things like that. And then in React Native, uh, you have like, you know, the, the, its own set of APIs. 
Are those APIs like, uh, is there something that's polyfilled into Reason React that you can use? Or like, how does that type of stuff work? Or does there, is it have their own implementation? Sure. Um, so thing, things like set timeout, set interval, um, those are, um, th there are bindings available out of the box um, that, that come with the, um, basically the Reason standard library. Um, and then for, for more, um, I guess, esoteric DOM uh, APIs like the web audio API or stuff like that, there are um, kind of community members have come up with bindings and published them. And um, they're, they're kind of in, in varying levels of completeness. But definitely when, um, if you want to get started with Reason, it's, it's important to know how to write your own bindings. Um, and, and there's been a, a lot of effort put in to make that pretty easy. Um, like not super complicated. You can get up to speed in half an hour of just kind of reading through docs and looking at examples so that you aren't, you aren't restricted by what other people have written. You can just say, oh, I need to use this JavaScript function. I know how to write the types for it. I know how to bring it in. That's fine. Okay, cool. So uh, that, that's, that's interesting. And I'm, and I'm wondering, uh, so it's, it's, it's interesting because like with Reason, you can write on the server, but you can also write on the client. Is that, is that correct? So like, um, and, and I guess when you're talking about JavaScript, we can kind of do the same thing. But um, are there, so you have polyfills or you have, I guess not polyfills, but you have um, these bindings, I guess you call them for, uh, for a reason. Um, are there also additional features in the language that JavaScript doesn't have that would make it really nice, I guess, for people to, to use? Uh, and what, what are some examples of that if so? And I know we talked about the types a lot already. That's kind of for sure, definitely one of them. Sure. I mean, probably the, the a regular basis is just, just having out of the box that I don't have to worry um, about somebody changing an attribute on an object because it's literally not possible, right? Um, you know, I, I can have just so much confidence that this is, I, I don't have to worry about spooky action at a, at a distance nearly in the same way. Because if I just work with immutable data structures, it all it all just works, and and they're also pretty fast, right? It's it's not like you're compromising a ton to to take advantage of this immutability. So that that's probably the the number one biggest thing from like a language perspective. Let's see. Also having um, the ways that they take advantage the types and the immutability and the way that functions work. One of the things that Reason and OCaml have is uh, curried functions. So, and, and that means that you can, if you have a function that say takes three arguments, you can give it one argument and then that becomes a function that takes the other two arguments. So basically you, you can, you can pre-fill some arguments. Um, and that actually ends up being pretty handy, um, in a bunch of places that I wish JavaScript had. So, I mean, I think, so JavaScript has currying in a sense that you can, like, create a variable that um, returns a function. Is that right? Is it, is it different, like, as far as it maybe being, like, more of a first-class implementation with Reason? That's right. So if, if for example, you want to write a JavaScript function that takes one argument and returns a function that takes the other two arguments, you have to do that explicitly, right? You do, you know my function equals 
A, a arrow, B comma C arrow, the body might function. Um, and you can't, for example, just say, you know, any random library is probably not going to be implemented that way. Um, in reason, there's literally no way to have a function that doesn't do that, right? Well, if you're interopping with JavaScript, there, there's a way to opt out of it. But in general, any function you write is going to have that property. Um, and so you can depend on it from libraries you're using or other places. Okay, cool, cool. Um, so I'm kind of curious about like the future of, of what reason is going to be, but um, let's let's go to Mike real quick. I think he has a comment. Oh yeah, it's it's so fun that you are you know above me and I'm below you, I guess. <laughs> um, uh, all right. So my question is is sort of something that we can probably uh, cut and paste uh, before because uh, I really wanted to ask if someone is um, sort of uh, excited and wants to get started with ReasonML. Uh, where are the places uh, he should check or get subscribed to, like the the podcast that you are uh, having, or maybe some newsletters or uh, community groups where uh, someone can ask questions? Any resources you would particularly recommend? Certainly, um, probably the the number one and number two resources are um, the Discord channel um, and the 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 forum, the discourse forum, reasonml.chat. Um, so th those are places where, in, in the first case, it's a chat room. You can get immediate answers to your questions. Um, there are lots of people online that are very happy to answer beginner questions or advanced questions, whatever you've got. Um, and then the forum, you know, is, is more for long form, like, oh, I, you know, I have this thing, and or what are the what are people using for connecting to WebSockets or whatever it is. Um, so th those are two very important resources. And yeah, I, I co-host a podcast about Reason that I, I hope is helpful to people. And then a, another important resource, probably the there are a couple of accounts on Twitter um, that are useful to follow. There's the ReasonML um, you know, official Twitter account. There's a, um, a couple of accounts that kind of do Reason news. Um, there's ReasonML Hub, I think, and then Reason Weekly. Um, and then there's there's a newsletter um, that we can we can link to in the show notes. So um, I'm kind of curious about what the future of Reason is in two different senses. And first of all, I guess in the sense of like, if someone wants to learn Reason or learn something for the benefit of their career or for their uh, efficiency in the future for building applications, is maybe be it for a startup or whatever, do you see like a very bright future for Reason as far as uh, that is concerned? And then also my second question uh, along a similar vein is what are the future plans for Reason as far as the actual uh, code implementation, the language implementation itself, the people working on it? Do they have a lot of uh, like plans, I guess, for the future uh, of the actual uh, of the language? Sure. Um, so I guess to to answer the first question, I think it um, it can be really instructive to look at Elm um, and how they've grown. Um, we in in the reason community we just had our first conference um last th this past year um and i imagine that will um th there'll be more conferences coming um i so the, the reason town podcast we just did a a community survey um of you know who's interested in reason who's using reason that kind of thing um and we're we're coming at it but 
just under 400 responses. Um, so that, that's kind of the size of people that are interested in reason that are willing to fill out a survey. So for, for whatever that, uh, whatever that means. Um, but I, I would expect that, um, the next one or two years, it's, it's going to be, um, it'll be an outlier to, to find a company that's like, Oh, I want to hire a reason dev. Um, kind of similar to, to when Elm was starting up. And actually, for companies that were hiring Elm developers, it was seen as a competitive advantage almost, where it's like there, there are a bunch of people that want to use Elm, and that kind of selects for maybe people that are, will write better quality code and that kind of thing. Um, and so as a company, you can, you can really get really good developers if you are hiring Elm developers. I think that'll be a similar thing with Reason in the next one or two years. Um, and then I imagine, say, three to five years from now, um, it'll it'll become more of a um, more of where re, where Elm is right now, where there will be a bunch of companies that want to hire Reason developers, um, and it's it's more of a mainstream thing. Um, let's see. And then the second question was where where is Reason headed? Right? What are what are the changes coming down the pipe? Yeah, basically. Um, so for that. Uh, Given that Reason is is built on top of OCaml, I um, and OCaml is very stable. This is this is one of the other things that I like to emphasize when comparing Reason to, for example, TypeScript or Flow, where um, TypeScript and Flow have only been around for a couple of years and they're still figuring out their type system. They're still making breaking changes, um, kind of habitually. And um, whereas OCaml has been around for twenty years. Um, it, it is not making breaking changes. There, there's not a whole lot of churn at the, the language runtime level, um, which is nice. Um, so there are, as far as things in the short term, a lot of the, a lot of the work is being done around the tooling, around the IDE, um, editor integration, the, um, you know, cross compilation, making sure that native comp, native compiling is all right. Um, and then on, on reason core, there's changes made to, you know, let's, let's have better syntax errors. Let's have better type error messages, um, better formatting, that kind of thing. Um, so, so there aren't, I don't anticipate there being, you know, huge structural changes, um, over the next couple of years, more incremental, like, oh, that's nice. I'm glad they're doing that now. Um. That it's possible that we'll see some new language features, um, maybe next year or the year after that, but but it's kind of a ways off. So is there anything uh, that we haven't really touched on that anyone wants to discuss before we get to the picks? Um, so I know that certain companies are already doing Reason in production. Mike, uh, are you all doing Reason? I mean, I know that you do a lot of stuff around open source with Reason. Is your company building Reason, or, or, or are you capable of building Reason apps? I'm sure you are capable of but uh, oh, i'm yeah. kind of curious if you like you know you're interested in getting those type of clients yeah of course uh so we we'd love to get more clients uh willing to you know get reason ml implemented in their uh, apps as a part of existing products or uh whether they are just getting started and so as a part of that plan we've been working in the open source to sort of uh help our clients feel that uh the tooling is there and that you know uh, frameworks are there that they can use uh, so we are currently looking for more clients. 
Uh, so far, we've been able to implement the React Native EU app in ReasonML, and that's been our production experience so far. Uh, to be honest, um, probably in 80% of the cases, uh, I had a hard time trying to persuade the benefits of Reason, so I was uh, very happy to listen to Jared explaining the elevator pitch. I'll try that one next time, and hopefully that increases uh, the amount of active clients uh, trying out Reason. Cool. Drafted, our platform uses a lot of Reason. Um, we're at like 30 or 40% of our code base is Reason, and it's helped us move way, way faster. Uh, Sean Grove of OneGraph.com is using Reason on both the front end and the back end. Um, is like a really, really sharp uh, person who dove right in. Uh, and like obviously uh, had a few hiccups along the way, but now has something uh, that's very, very powerful and bulletproof on both the client and the server, which is exciting. Wow, interesting. It would be really cool to see a, um, a comprehensive uh, blog post or even a website with people that are using Reason in production and maybe like what their experiences are. That might help the, um, the I guess, the not the sales pitch, but like the comfortability, I guess, with companies that are trying to consider it if they see a lot of other companies that have used it that are having success with it and then maybe the reasons why they're successful with it. Yeah, I've been thinking I... Um after we finished running this survey, I was thinking of doing a, a deeper dive, like give us a little blurb about how you're using Reason and, you know, what are the pain points, what are the um, what are the success stories, uh, and, and maybe putting that together into a blog post or something. Yeah, that would be nice. Um, that, I think that would be interesting to read for sure. I know that uh, React Native has that who's using React Native, whatever, section uh, like, you know, in their docs, and that seems to get a lot of attention. I always hear people reference it. So, yeah, we we've got something like that on the on the Reason uh, website. That's just you know put your put your company's logo up here. Oh, nice. Okay, cool. I'll have to check we that can out. To that. Cool. Well, um, I think um, we're getting close on time, so we'll go ahead and get to the picks. So, Peter, uh, I'll go ahead and get you first. Do you have any picks today? My big. This pick is Chicago JS Camp. It's our first JavaScript conference in Chicago. Fall in Chicago is amazing if you've never been here before. We have a few tickets left. Um, so if you're hearing this, make sure you check out the website, chicagojs.org, to learn more. Jared, uh, do you have any picks for us today? Well, what, one thing that I'm excited about is the, the Quill JS uh, Rich Text Editor. Um, I'm, I'm using that in a project right now and it, um, is well-designed, um, really easy to get started out of the box. Basically it's, um, it's kind of like code mirror for, um, for rich text. Uh, it's got a nice underlying representation that, um, you know, just a JSON serialization of the document, um, and great handling if you want to do collaborative editing or, um, you know, good undo, undo, redo, that kind of stuff. Um, so that, that's that's what I'm excited about right now. Mike, do you have any picks? So my, my pick will be uh, BS React Native, which is uh, a library that provides bindings in Reason uh, for React Native. So essentially, uh, it makes it easy for you to write uh, React Native apps in Reason. Uh, and if you are a React Native developer, which uh, I guess you are, or at least you aspire to be, um, 
listening to this podcast. Uh, it's the one of the easiest way for you ways for you to get started. Um, not just with uh, React Native, but also with Reason. So you can check that out in your free time. Cool. I have two picks. The well, actually, uh, I want to go ahead and mention we just got back from React Native EU, and it was it was so awesome. I mean, like Mike is here. Like I would have said this actually if he wasn't here because this is our first podcast since the um, the event. But the uh, it, it's really just such a fun conference. Not only are the the content and stuff is great, but the actual like food and the city and and the atmosphere is amazing. It's like my favorite conference probably at this point. Maybe I'm still like feeling it because I just got back from it. I was actually really jet lagged uh, and I slept through some of the talks and, and a couple of the social events. But overall, I had a, a really good time. So um, hopefully in 2019 they'll do either React Native EU or, or another conference. And um, if you have a chance to go, definitely go. Uh, but my two picks are, uh, the first one is a book that I've been reading. Me and my kids read books uh, uh, together like all the time. The one I'm reading now is called Off to Be the Wizard. It's basically about this uh, kid who realizes that life is a computer simulation and he stumbles upon the, um, the code for the simulation and he's able to change things in, in, in real life. And it's actually really, really funny and I'm not going to go too much into that to give any more spoilers, but... Um, it's actually a good book, even if you're, it's not really a kid's book. It's actually good for grownups, too. It's called Off to Be the Wizard. It's by Scott Meyer. And then my second pick is, uh, is a blog called A Cloud Guru. It's on Medium. I have my first post published there this week, actually. So by the time this podcast comes out, it'll be there. It's about building um, web applications with React and AWS Amplify, the new CLI tool chain that we came out with at AWS. So I'm pretty pumped about that blog post because I know there's a lot of readers on A Cloud Guru. And if you're interested in cloud computing, but really more about serverless stuff, definitely check out that blog. They have a lot of good stuff. So I think that'll wrap up our recording today. So uh, Jared, Peter, Mike, uh, thanks everyone for coming on. But Jared, thanks for coming on as a special guest today. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was nice to meet you. Um, so where can people find you if they want to uh, keep up with what's going on uh, not only with what you're doing, but maybe a few references to like reason things that they can follow. I know you mentioned Discord, I think already. That's right. Um, yeah, I'm I'm on the Discord server. Twitter is probably the best way to get a hold of me, um, and I'll I, I tweet things about reason frequently. And yeah, that's th- those are probably the two things. Check out the the podcast, see if it's interesting to you. Reason Town podcast. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks for listening. That wraps up episode 106 of React Native Radio. We'll see everyone next week.